0: everyone everyone, welcome back to the All Things Gymnastics Podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Brittany. And this is the podcast where we talk about all things gymnastics. And this week, we are so excited to be joined by Jill Hex from JH Consulting to answer all of your college recruiting questions, from how coaches determine who to give scholarships to, what not to do on a recruiting trip, recruiting in the era of social media and NIL, and so much more. We hope you all find this conversation to be super helpful, particularly if you're a gymnast or a parent who might be helping your gymnast through. The recruiting process someday, but also we know a lot of you are College Masters fans who are just super interested in how the recruiting process works, so this interview with Jill is packed with wisdom and advice, and we know you're not going to want to miss it, so stay tuned. But before we get to that, we want to real quick thank our Gold Level Patreon supporters, so a big thank you to Emily B, Kathleen R, Lucy S, Becca S, DFP, Blake B, Cookie Master, Faith M, Kristen R, Lori S., Sabrina M, Amy C, Erica S, Milan W, M, Derek H, and Abby M. Thank you all for continuing to support our show each month at the highest tier level. Your support helps to make this podcast what it is and definitely helps to keep this podcast going. So if you enjoy our podcast and you're able to contribute and you want to contribute, we have a link in our show notes down below to our Patreon. You can find out the perks of each tier level, what the money is used for, and how you can help. So we appreciate all of your support. And now let's get into our conversation with Joe Hicks from JH Consulting so we're super excited to have you on the show we have a lot of gymnasts that listen to us and also just gymnastics fans that are really interested in the college recruiting process and we had a lot of people submit questions for you so I think a lot of people are going to be really excited for this episode and to hear everything you have to say hear all your insight so thank you for joining us sure so why don't you start by giving us a little introduction just tell us a little bit about yourself your background and how you got into advising for college recruiting
1: Okay, it's kind of a fun story. Um, Thank goodness my mom is so amazing or I wouldn't be sitting here today, but I didn't start gymnastics till I was 12 and then I was elite for six years. So my whole career was elite. And then uh, my mom said, well, do you want to do college gymnastics? And when I became like a senior in high school age-wise, and I'm like, no, never heard of it, don't want to do it. And that was back then before there were any elites really um, in college right so she sent out my resume anyway to all these colleges so I went to UCLA USC had a team and the Arizona schools and Oregon State and Oregon State just stayed like really on top of sending me stuff calling my parents the whole thing so they send me a scholarship it it's uh I go on a visit that's what it was I went on a visit and I was like yeah there's no way I'm going here." <laughs> like I was like uh There was no beaches in Oregon that I could see. There were no malls. It was just all green trees and nothingness. So (laughs) I go to myself. I, I mean, I only remember a few things, but I remember saying to myself, I'll be nice, but I'm not going here. There's no way. So the scholarship sat in the kitchen on the table, like the whole summer prior to me going and I wouldn't sign it. And my dad pulled me aside and said, look, you can buy a car. We'll get you a car. And you only have to do this for a year. And if you don't like it, you can come home. So that's how it happened. So I said, I could do it. I could do a year. So um, I get there and I absolutely fall in love with college gymnastics. And unfortunately, I had had a knee injury. And by Christmas of my freshman year, I went in and quit the team. I think looking back, it was way more I was burned out from being elite. And Mm -hmm. I was from scats and a lot of Olympians on the team and it was intense. It was six hours a day, six days a week. And I think when I got to college, even though I loved all that was going on, I think looking back, I just didn't feel like my knee was moving in and out and I didn't want to have it completely reconstructed, one. But two, I just think I was burned out without realizing it. I just didn't understand. So anyway, the coach says, hey, would you stay on the team on your scholarship and be one of our coaches? So that's how... I started college coaching. So I coached for 20 years after that. And, you know, so I was, became a true assistant, coached beam and floor at Oregon state. We went from nothing to rank top four in the country, lots of national champions on beam and floor and all Americans. It was incredible. And then I became a head coach at Cal state Fullerton. And I was only going to do that a year. And they were going to drop the program. My husband was the wrestling coach and we thought, okay, we'll both go and do that. And they'll drop both programs they were going to, and then we'll move on to the next college. Well, in between that, I ended up coaching at a little club, Kyla Ross and Michaela Maroney were in my group and another Olympian girl that became Charlotte, the trampolinist. So I did a little stint with that before I became the head coach at Fullerton. And you look back at that whole thread and it all really started with my mom, you know, saying, do you want to do college gymnastics? I'm like, no. <laughs> so um, then, to your mom. um <laughs> yeah, thanks to my mom. So then I got asked to go on tour after I was the head coach at Fullerton with the Olympic team. So I did the 2012 Kellogg's tour. And during that time, I thought of JH Consulting. I'm like, we're moving to a new city when I'm done with this. There's no college gymnastics. And all these people were calling me for help, just club kit parents and things. So I was like, huh. You know, why couldn't I put together a company that I didn't want it to be a profile based where the families just sent a profile because I knew as a college coach and doing a lot of recruiting, you could tell those families that really all they did was send their information in email versus kids who really understood college recruiting, which really most don't. So I thought if I could form a business because I love people, I love That was, I think, the reason as a college coach, I was successful was the kids could tell I cared about them as people more than their results. Mm -hmm. And that's how I wanted JH Consulting to be, like a personal advising business where you actually meet with them and you're building confidence and you're in all areas, not just about recruiting. So, um, but, you you know, we have a path that's specific. But so that's what I designed. And I thought, who's going to sign up? You know, like nobody, you know, like what do you charge? What do you do? What do you call it? You know, all these things. So it was really um, unusual for me. I'm not a business person that way. But anyway, that's how it started 12 years ago. We've placed thousands of girls, and I, you know, we have eight advisors. And so I'm overseeing all of that. And I'm just grateful. That's all I can say. It's really been fun.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting because you've seen college recruiting then from like every aspect from you were a gymnast, you were a head coach, and now you're in the role you're in now. So you really have a lot of wisdom on this and a lot of insight. You know,
1: yeah, the one thing I didn't understand was division two and three, because um, I had high level Oregon State, we recruited elites, Olympians and all that. And then I was Cal State Fullerton. And total, all we had were six scholarships.
0: Was that a D2 school? Pardon? Was that a
1: a D1? It was, it's, there's a couple quirky D1 schools that are allowed to have less scholarships. Oh. Or they can break them up. And I never really understood how that fit in the umbrella because, so don't ask, I don't even, I still don't understand how that works because all schools, D1, usually have 12 Mm -hmm. full scholarships, right? And they go out per person. But Fullerton had six and you could divide them up, but so I was recruiting much lower D1 um, girls at Fullerton versus my experience at at, uh, Oregon State, Mm -hmm. but no clue on D2 and D3. So I had to learn that in acrobatics and tumbling. Yeah. Yeah. And we have girls going into diving and pole vaulting and it's really fun. All kinds of things.
0: Can you kind of walk us through the scholarship situation? You kind of just touched on it a little bit, but so division one, division two, division three, what options are out there as far as scholarship availability for athletes? And then how do they know what division they should be targeting?
1: Ooh, those are great questions. So I was able to sit back and think about that because, you know, as a coach, you look at an athlete and you can just tell. But that doesn't help a parent. You don't want to say to a parent, I can just tell she's lower D1, you know? Hey,
0: they're <laughs> so, like, what does that mean? <laughs>
1: what does that mean? So we have what's called a five-step plan. And it's all designed to help the parent and the athlete and the club coach, like for the light bulb to go off and go, oh, okay, now I see where I fit into this, you know, as best we can, right? So basically we start with a get to know you session. And then from there, we do this five step plan. And the first step is having them go to roadtonationals.com where all the schools are and they're ranked. And then um, we talk about what it takes to be a D1 athlete, D2, D3, and then they, we do these projects with them where they figure out which one is, um, their skills are gonna match. And then it's not so hard, right? But basically going back to your first question, scholarship wise, For scholarships, Division I receives 12 scholarships per team, most of them. Now, some of them are not fully funded or under that same umbrella, only a few. So the Ivies and William and Mary, because they went through so much. And I don't, I'm not sure about Towson. There's a few others, but not very many. Mm -hmm. So then these scholarships have to go per person. Then in its tuition, fees, books, room and board. So it's not a dollar amount. You don't see a dollar amount on the contract usually. It's just tuition fees books from a board. Mm-hmm. And then um, Division two receives six, and they can break them up and give a little bit to each athlete, and they merge theirs with the academic scholarships that the school provides to try to get them a full package. Oh. And then there's D3, which is only academic scholarships. So those are the differences um, what was your second question? How do you know which division?
0: Or Yeah, like how would you advise someone on what division they should be targeting? Right.
1: So I always say like the top
0: 12-ish schools are going to recruit the
1: Olympians, the world champions, the, um, all over our country and the world. So those will get eaten up. If there's giving out three a year, because they have 12, they go three freshmen, three sophomores, three juniors, three seniors. And there's about 1500 level 10s a year that are vying for those 180 scholarships, you know, there's 60 division one teams and if they have three a year, let's just, you know, ballpark it.
0: It's super competitive too to get one. It's hard.
1: Yeah. But the interesting thing is being an advisor, the word on the house is you can get a full ride. You know, I think that's what goes around all the time to the families and the parents sitting watching practice or whatever but they don't know the numbers. Usually they have no clue how many level 10s there are in the country, right. Or how many elites there'll be each year. Or the fact that because of COVID all those girls down to 2024 get that added extra year. If they want it, they don't get the scholarship, but they get the added year that ate up 80 spots this year and last year. So all of a sudden now you're like looking at it and going, if I can get a walk on spot, I'll be happy. You know, it's, it's really tight for 23s and 24s so we try to bring all that to the table but I would say the you know top elites highest of level 10s are going go to go those top 12-ish teams in the country first those will get eaten up and then it kind of trickles down from there so you have you know your highest of level 10s your medium level 10s and your low level 10s basically yeah. and it's kind of divided by execution. So when you look at it across the board, a lot of times your D3 girls have level 10 start values. I mean, 10-0 start values at level 10, but they're just not as clean as the others, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what college
0: gymnastics is all about.
1: It's all about execution. Yeah. So when we break all that down in our five-step plan, we meet once a month, you know, they are all of a sudden by week, by session two, they get it. They're like, oh, okay, I'm a level 10, but I'm not that level 10, you know, but the problem is they've all gone to camps that are what they see on TV or, you know, so you have to kind of gently, you know, help them one, see the real true picture. And then two say, but you're good enough, you can do this, but we've got to get you to the right exposure for you to have an opportunity. So it's kind of like we, you know, have to rearrange because most, the bulk of our clients are level nines turning tens. They're not, I mean, we get, a, I have a lot of elites. I have a lot of high end level tens, but the bulk are going to be, you know, your basic level 10 girl who wants to do college gymnastics. So that's how we do it.
0: Do colleges recruit only all-arounders? Like what happens if, say, you're like a 9-9 consistently on one event, but then you're a little bit lower on the other events? Will yeah. Division I schools still consider you?
1: Well, I have to say, Vault is the event that you can sometimes, <laughs> if you're good at Vault in one other event, you could get a scholarship. Yeah, just yeah. get
0: a one and a half.
1: Just get a Vault. Yeah, yeah. 10 on start or value. value. Yeah, um, but not always. You know, not always. I mean, I was just on the phone with one of the top teams in the country and we were chatting about a 10-0 vault and I was asking him, I'm like, you know, what do you think about this vault? It's not the typical one and a half, you know, and, you know, so you have to understand all the ins and outs and parents just aren't going to know all that, you know, and most of the time parents are the ones really helping their kids get recruited. Club coaches want to. there there are very few club coaches out there that really understand. And the ones that do, they get it. I got to get my girls great execution at level 10 and they have to be at certain meets. And those coaches do a really good job of that. Right. And parents will still hire us. They'll hire us kind of in confidence because they're afraid to tell their club coach, but there's just so many other things we enhance about recruiting that the parents are just so thankful because they know when it comes down to it, even if they're looking at LSU, Utah, and UCLA, it's still big decision. They want to talk about it and make sure they're making the right one, right? Mm -hmm. So, and we never say, pick this one, you know, like over that one. We never do that. We try to support all the schools, but, you know, we do try to help them think through you know, all the things they aren't looking at when they go on their visits, because they're just so excited to be wanted, you know, and so there's, there's a lot involved there.
0: What are some of the things that gymnasts should weigh when they're trying to decide if they want to walk on to a bigger team or be on a scholarship at a smaller team? Because I would imagine that's probably one of the biggest things that they're even considering, like going to a big school and having some of the opportunities that can come with, even if you're not competing, just being on that bigger team versus actually competing and contributing every week for a smaller team. I don't know, like if I was a gymnast, how I would even try and figure that out.
1: Now, going back to your question a minute ago, which I was going to say, most college coaches want the most bang for their buck. So initially when they're out hunting, which thank goodness it isn't in eighth grade anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's definitely more in ninth grade, 10th grade, for sure. They're going to go after the all-arounders. They're going to look up at my meet scores. Who are the top all-arounders at level 10? After they've combed through the elites, if they can recruit that level, right? Then they're going to try to find those top all-arounders because there's, you know, it's just logic would tell you if if I can get a girl who's 39-1 or thir- high 38s out of level 10, chances are she'll, get, she'll be able to do more events in college for me. It's just, you would do that. So going back to, do you have to be an all-arounder to get a scholarship? I would say no, but those high all-around strong executed level 10s are going to get the scholarships first I would say yeah it's just human nature it's going to happen uh college coach prefers but now some college coaches would tell you I would rather find a three eventer who's strong on the top two events we need and then we have a backup event if we need it but you know she's in her body most college gymnasts as you guys know because you watch college gymnastics don't do all around yeah. I mean we could probably count on our hand last year who competed all around right right like ha- very few so yeah. they weigh that out too and they go okay well I don't need an all-arounder that's but I they kind of want one <laughs> you know it's like it's just yeah, yeah. those kids are usually the most talented right so then they'll look at those the three eventers and do they have at least two of the events that we need the most. And those kids will get the next layer of scholarships a lot of times. Then it comes down to, and in our conversations with our clients, we have that very statement you just said. It's like, look, I ask the parent directly, have you saved for college? Or do we need to only look at schools where she can potentially get a scholarship? And then I reevaluate things based on that, you know, or we do as advisors, because you're right. You would drop down probably in the rankings of which schools you're going to look at if you need a scholarship and you better have a pretty good all-around score or at least be really strong on three events to get the scholarship, right? So we talk about, would you prefer if mom and dad say she can walk on anywhere? And most gymnastics families are, yeah, they can do that. I I would tell you 90% of the time. They say that
0: it's a very expensive sport to do. So if you can afford to do it at that level, (laughs) probably safe to assume.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So then we go, okay, let's leave these three dream schools. Okay. These would be schools you really would like to go to. You might only compete on one event, but we could potentially down the road, ask about a walk on spot. So we don't really go there until the timing. I feel the timing is right because we don't want to give up the option of scholarships if because if, they all want a scholarship. I mean, they all, you know, that label just means like, man, I've been doing this since I was two. I'd love to have that. Who
0: wouldn't, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Just to be able to say that you're on a scholarship. It sounds very prestigious. <laughs>
1: yeah, and it's like, I've earned it, you know? And I, I can't, I don't want to take that away from their dream. So it's a balancing act as an advisor. And I think all these 30 years 40 years of my experience being an elite athlete uh, myself getting recruited myself and then all those coaching years and coaching in club and being a mom of three and we had you know our kids go through the recruiting process my husband was um a two-time national champion for oregon state wrestling you know so a whole different you know um, it's like, I bring, I try to bring all of that to the table and you would think, I mean, there's some foundational things that are not different that JH Consulting is founded on, but every situation is so different with these kids, you know, their strengths, their weaknesses, where they live, where they want to go, what the college coaches think of them, you know, their grades their So it's like a puzzle piece, you know, every single time and I think that's why J.H. Consulting's been, I think, successful is word of mouth. I hope people, some people leave probably feeling like we didn't get what we wanted, you know, because I can't pull out magic. You know, it's like, things happen, And I can't, I'm not in the gym with you, coaching you or whatever, you You know. You only have so
0: much control over what the actual outcome is. Yeah. Very limited control over that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But hopefully they leave feeling cared for and that they gave it everything they got and we gave everything we got we we had to them you know mm-hmm. and that's kind of how recruiting is i mean you've got to jump in with both feet not knowing if you're going to get rejected by everyone or or some yeses and um it's such a risk they take emotionally you know most gymnasts have never had a job let alone or even gone to school some regular you know and now you're asking us to do all this, like, almost PR to the college coach. And they're like, ah, I'm a shy gymnast. Just give me an assignment. <laughs> you <don't> yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah, so it's really building all that up in them. And it's so cool because you really see them blossom as people. You know, they start out really shy, most of them, and then they turn into these just strong pre-college kids it's neat
0: so for someone that decides that they do want to go the walk-on route I don't know if you could speak to this or not but do you feel like college coaches have the same expectations for someone who is potentially coming on as a walk-on as opposed to someone who's going to be recruited on a scholarship
1: it is different it is different I mean I always say bottom line college coaches are being paid to win that is their job yeah. so- Um, no matter how nice they are or how this or that, you know, I mean, so they're always looking at it from an angle of, are you going to contribute? And I think I always tell my walk-ons, who dental walk-ons, I tell them, I say, look, it's way easier to get rid of a walk-on than a girl on a scholarship. That's the only difference. If you follow all the rules and a scholarship girls follow, follow all the rules you will be basically with most of these coaches, you'll be treated the same. You'll travel if you make the lineup. You'll get the leotards, the workout gear, the academic services, the medical, and the travel. Uh, you know, you will, all of that is the same. I personally loved walk ons because they were the inspiration of the team. They were doing it for nothing in some ways, right? There, as a human being, when you're being paid and labeled, you feel pressure in a diff- whole different way than if you're a walk-on. Walk-ons feel pressure, but it's just different. Mm-hmm. But most college coaches, when they're going, that's an amazing routine, she's in the lineup. You know, she just made the lineup. I don't care if you're on a scholarship or not. Like, I need a girl like you to be in my lineup because we're weak here and you are. you're showing me every day you can do this. So, But I would say the one thing some walk-on struggle with is confidence because they don't have the scholarship label. So they feel sometimes like they're underneath or something. And I tell them, but they're not. It's just they carry that. So as a, as a head coach, you have to learn how to get that off of their back so they can be freed up to be as good as they really are, which can be as good as your scholarship athletes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll carry carry some of that.
0: Well, you do see, even with some of the top teams that have gymnasts that walk on, you can make lineups. It is possible. And even get a scholarship by the end of your career. So it definitely does give you something to strive for. Um, and, and doesn't make you any less of a gymnast. You're they're at the same level talent wise, or at least close to the same level talent wise. And they're still a value to the team in a lot of different ways.
1: Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't realize who the walk-ons are. Yeah, so, I mean, I look at Gracie Kramer, UCLA. She was my client and gonna go full ride to ASU. And then her mom called me and was like, "This isn't a good fit. What do we do?" And I'm like, "I have an idea." Yeah. <laughs> and then. um, I was thinking Kendall Poston and Sarah Elias and like all those. There's so many that people don't realize they never got a scholarship. Yeah. And they made it to nationals and some of them win nationals. You know, it's like
0: I was gonna say that. Yeah. Yeah. Gracie Kramer, she even got a 10 on floor for UCLA. Oh, yeah. Like who would have thought? Yeah, she's like right. big time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So I always use those examples and the girls are shocked, but we have, we play so many walk-ons that are really strong on a couple of events. And if they can mentally handle that pressure, but I also am honest, like, I mean, I said to Gracie, you may never compete. Not once. Are you ready for that? You know, but then you don't know when they get on the team, how healthy those Olympians are going to be or not. Right. So exactly. it's crazy. So I, I don't know. I look at all of those scenarios. And when I find, you know, someone comes to me and I know a college coach is going to be like getting a cream of the crop here. They just don't know it. You know, it's pretty fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To
0: see that happen. So one of the questions that we got um, a couple of times, then actually it's a question that I had myself. Say a team has like three spots available and they have 10 gymnasts come and do a visit at the school. How do they determine out of that group who to offer to without knowing who's going to actually accept the offer?
1: Yeah. So I'm sure every college does it different. And I can only speak to the few schools that I experienced this at, but, you know, basically they have a board that a big chalkboard or a board, and they put those names up there and they, I mean, if it was me, I would start with who is my best athletes, you know, who could score the most on the events we need next year. So it comes back to that every time. Then it is, okay, we've gotten to know them on Zoom sessions as coaches. Which ones did we find we connected with the best? Then let's go watch their practice. And then let's talk to their club coaches. Because it's all a game. It's a game on both sides, right? So a club coach isn't going to tell you everything you know, that you're going to have to deal with when you get that athlete. So you as a coach have to have eyes all over. And when you're watching, whether it's their Instagram or their attitude, or when you go watch them at practice or how they act at a meet, all those things can make them stay high on the list with their physical abilities or maybe come down to the middle, you know, or whatever. So then the last thing is when they come on a visit. And then the team will vote usually. So they don't just have them on a visit and then go, let's see which one, you know, you teach your team how to recruit and you teach them what to ask. And you, then you have a meeting and you say, what did you find out? And what did they say? And how did they act? I mean, not all head coaches are that intense about it. I was, cause that's just who I am. But, and some of those girls, they know statistically are going to say no to them and go, over to Florida, if you're Georgia or
0: whatever. right? Yeah. I was going to ask that, like, do, how long does a coach hold a spot for somebody hoping that they're going to commit? Because you don't know gymnasts, they go on a bunch of trips. Yep. They sometimes take a while to decide where they're going to go. How long does the coach hold that spot for them potentially? Oh,
1: that's a, boy, you're bringing back all kinds of memories. I just remember, <laughs> I remember Greg at Utah, you know, those were, that was my era. And, um, We used to hear all these stories like, you know, the girls, he'd bring in four and he'd say, okay, I have three scholarships. So whoever tells me first will get it. I mean, and I truly believe that's how he did it. Like, I'm not kidding. It just was never my style. (laughs) So everybody has their own sort of style. But some. Some recruits, we would hardball like that because we had to, we knew they were going, we knew where they were going. Now that was back in the day before Instagram. So you couldn't always see where they were going or know where, I mean, you had to find out other ways, you know? So the coaches have their own sort of twist to the, how they want to be sure they get a certain recruit. Other coaches are more laid back and they're like, look, if they don't choose us first, then they're not meant to be here they'll give a timeline. Okay. You have, you have two weeks and we'll need to know, you know, other coaches will say, take your time because they don't want kids being hardballed to their program. It net sometimes that backfires. Yeah. So then a kid says yes. And then she changes her mind and then she doesn't really want to be there. And then the girls find out, oh, she always wanted to go to this other school and, you know, she felt pressure and um, she came for her parents or, you know, so there's strategy on both sides. yeah. And I think that's another kind of thing as an advisor I try to bring to the table because most families are like, oh, oh, we can ask that or we can think like that, you know? So there's a lot, there's a lot of strategy that goes on, but most coaches are, I feel pretty professional and very honest and their word is their word for the most part. And they will tell you. If you need a timeline, ask them, you know, most of the time they're willing to do all that.
0: Yeah. And I was going to say, I feel like if they really want you, they're probably going to be more willing to give you the time that you need to actually go through all your options and figure out what it is that you actually want. If they actually want you as well, it has to be on both ends. Right. I feel for
1: these other, let's talk about just the real level nines, trying to be level tens or only have been level 10 one year. Those poor girls, it is really hard. Mm -hmm. And this year, 23s, there just happens to be hundreds extra, if you want to call it that, that still have not gotten a, a spot. And they're willing to walk on. And a lot of coaches right now do have one spot left, but they're just busy. They don't have time to even return an email. So these kids are just, and I'm telling them, you have to send, this is how often this is what you can talk about and they're not getting any responses, but I tell them it doesn't mean it's a no. It just until that, till they tell you it's a no, you continue to, to send Yeah, because they're just in a holding pattern. They're waiting to see what their team is turning out like that just arrived that's and right. they're bringing in their recruits that they've already made offers to. They're so busy. They're ju- you're not a priority right now. And that's okay. You will be maybe after January, but right now you're not. So all those I want to say hunt lots of girls, multiple are in that boat where they're, where do I apply? And, you know, do I go back to a fall camp? Do I, I mean, it's just gut wrenching to watch them go through this.
0: Yeah. They're kind of like sitting in limbo a little bit. Totally. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask, and I don't know, you don't have to say like anything specifically if you do have a, a scenario for this, but have you ever heard of like a team that over commits and then they have to retract scholarship offers? Because they, they give out too many and then they don't have enough. <laughs>
1: yeah, I don't go into that one very often, do I? Um, there's so many things. I, I mean, I feel like I'm on my podcast and Facebook Live and on Instagram every day. And I'm thinking, there are so many things I don't even talk about because I don't want to scare families. But it's like, that is true. That yeah. is true. And it's a strategy. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when I look at it from both angles, I can see why. You know, I never did that at Oregon State, but that was a long time ago. Things have changed. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I would say that happens more at the higher ranked teams.
0: Yeah. Um, So speaking about like official visits, what do you tell your gymnasts that you work with? What should they be expecting on official visits? And then what kind of things should they be asking about? I have a
1: good one because this coach who I was just on the phone with, college coach. Wow. This coach just said so this could be the number one thing girls should be thinking about do not have your phone out he said he's crossing off every girl it's fine to take a photo he said I don't have a problem if you want to take one photo the problem is and I speak on this topic to clubs and families and moms is the addiction Mm -hmm. the addiction is so bad to the phones that I mean, I, I have this happen with my own kids. So I'm, I'm right there in it. And I have to be careful as a grandma and a mom, because I am, I don't want to model this to even my own children. So I'm speaking as it is very hard. Right. And you guys might even admit it too, Mm -hmm. you know, at a dinner table, whatnot, all the things, but I am telling you, this coach said, I think they had six girls on campus for a recruiting trip this weekend. And three of them, he's like, nope. They were so into, you know, their selfie and more into their phone in a way than they were into the trip. If I told the girl that, I'm sure she would say, oh my gosh, you know, that's not what I meant. Or, you know, I, they don't even real. it's an addiction, right? Yeah. And to a college coach, it's a red flag.
0: Yeah, because they want to see you, like, engage. They want to see you living in the moment, asking questions about the program, being, like, invested in that more so than in documenting it for social media or just to send on Snapchat to your friends or Be Real. That's the right. thing that kids are doing nowadays if they're posting on Be Real. Yeah, right. It's really interesting that that point because that's something that is kind of new I would say with social media mm-hmm. like back in your day as a gymnast yeah. and even just even just like 10 years ago things were completely different like oh. it, social media wasn't as prevalent as it is now and everyone's on their phones like you said it yes. is an addiction we're all on our phones all the time we're
1: all addicted yeah and yeah. what I tell JH girls is this is a business trip and they're they kind of look at me funny you know but I'm like it's a business trip And if you don't treat it that way, it depends on the school and the coach, but it can really impact their decision for you. And, you know, some, some kids just can't turn it off. I mean, whatever. And some just probably don't believe me how important it is, or they're just, they just want those moments of whatever they're doing to feed whatever's going on. And if you think about it as a coach, it has trickle down effect, you know? So let's say you're in the gym. And you're um, doing a practice, and your athletes have their phones going off, or they're walking over to their phone constantly, or they go to you go to a meet and they're more concerned about their hair and their leotard or how they're posing prior to the meet than they are about folk being focused on what they need to accomplish, whether it's in practice or at the, the trickle-down effect of that is it can impact a team. It, it just can, right? And especially with the NIL thing, like I could go on and on. That also, there some coaches are watching for, is that their goal or is this their goal? You know, and sadly, some kids, they don't even realize how they're being portrayed or what they're doing. And they think it's just a cool thing, you know, <laughs> and it's not all cool. And, and you know what, it's not just the phone, it's everything in life that impacts a team, who you are in all different things, not just a phone. But so I I just think the phone is one example that um, when you're on an official visit, you need to treat it like a business trip and you need to be engaged. And that's the other thing. This culture is now the kids, this age, they're not used to talking. They're used to texting, right? Mm -hmm. So they could be sitting next to a team member or a coach and not make any eye contact because they don't talk. They text everything. So we go over all of that, you know? And I think most gymnasts would go, I can get engaged. I just, thank you for telling me, you know, I'll do that, you know? Yeah. But that's what these, these coaches are of a different era. They're looking for you know, those kind of things. I mean, they're willing to be flexible, but not, if you can't make eye contact and get to know every single girl on that team on some level, they're going to vote after. And if, a, if 10 of them feel like she didn't even talk to me yeah. or she walked away from me, we were walking, but she was on her phone, you know, those are red flags.
0: Yeah, well, you want to make a good first impression. At it. I'm thinking of like, even in the real world, when you're doing a job interview, you know, if I'm in a job interview right now and my phone lights up, I'm not going to pick it up and see who's calling me or texting me. I can do that later. You know, you got to be professional. You got to be in the moment. You got to make connections with people. That's how you get hired. That's how you get a spot on the team. That's how you make friends. It really applies to every area of life, I feel like. So true. What other kinds of things are coaches looking for, whether it's academics, um, what they're posting personally, like in their personal lives, gymnastics wise, how often should they be posting? I guess what kinds of things should gymnasts be putting out there to advertise, I guess if that's the right word, themselves Uh to those college coaches? What are some of those important things Mm -hmm. that you hear on your end?
1: I always say, so it starts with the three S's we all know. So it's skills, scores, and your start values. You can't get around it. You can't fake it. They can find them and they can see the girls who are putting highlight videos out without the truth. You can, you know, technology can change a lot of that, right? But the coaches can see through it. So that's the foundation and every coach has to win, try to win. So that's what they need. You can be really nice and have really good grades, but if you don't have the skills, the scores and the start values and the videos to prove it, sorry, your foundation right there is going to be a little bit wobbly. Okay. So those three S's really important. Then it comes down to, yeah, you're academics, but I can tell you it's not a separator in recruiting. Most gymnasts have a 4.0. I mean, it's just, I see it all day long. So that's not a separator, but you wanna communicate that school is important to you and you wanna graduate and you may not know your major, that's okay, but you want to you know show that academics are of value to you. And then the next is your personality. So who are you as a person? So the good and the bad of technology with Instagram and all those things, they're looking at who follows you, who do your parents follow, who do your parents, what are your parents like? Do you advocate for your other friends on the team? Because they're looking for a team player, right? So they can see all these things. What do you do in your spare time? Do you volunteer? Do you have a, a heart for people besides yourself? You know, the sad part is with the sport of gymnastics anyway, it's a very... Individual sport. So the kids don't have a lot of time for all this extra stuff, but they also are being developed environmentally by all kinds of things in their world. So the coaches want to find out well, what is in your world? Where are you getting information from? And what do you like? And if it's important to a coach, they're going to find out and they will look at all those kinds of things. And of course, they're going to be watching, like I said earlier, when they see you at a meet or go watch your practices. So they're going to look for all the intangibles that have nothing to do with gymnastics because they can see your videos pretty much on Instagram. So that's already out there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So do you move a mat? Do you console a teammate? How do you act when your coach, when you just messed up or you fell at a meet? I tell girls the best video you can post is a fall and getting back up and nailing your routine. Most of them want to hide those routines. They just, they just don't understand I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the best one to put out there. Yeah, Um, They know you're still learning how to compete. They know you're not perfect, right? So they want to see your progress as a person in your academics and in your gymnastics, that you're progressing. You're still young. You're not even going to come for three more years or whatever. Yeah. So it's your attitude because everything impacts your, when you wake up in the morning and how you treat people. It impacts all those areas. So they're trying to find out what do you really like? I, I have an example at Oregon State, one of our recruits came and she was really talented. And I'm like, we had a team of really nice girls at the time. And I was like, we need someone who can go out and just lights out compete. And it's kind of tough, right? Mm-hmm. So this girl comes and she's in the dorms, staying in the dorms. And I'm waiting outside for her to come. And the time was like a certain time, right? She could care less what time, I, how long I was waiting for her to come out of the dorms, to take her to breakfast. She had no conscience of others yeah. at all, right? That's kind of how the weekend went. She was nice and everything otherwise. And so we vote afterwards. We have a team coaches meeting and a team meeting. And the girls were like, no way. You know? And the coaches were like, oh my gosh, even her club coach called us and said, don't take her, like, just don't take her.
0: Oh, wow, so it was that bad.
1: <laughs> I was the only one that was willing because I spent some one-on-one time with her and I could tell her selfishness was a protection. It it was like, she had gone through so much in her life, a lot of pain, and that was her way of kind of, so the, the head coach was like, okay, fine. We'll." T-. I mean, she was a great gymnast. She, he goes fine we'll take her but you are in charge of her like you I'm in it. and so I was like oh my gosh
0: so this is your idea oh
1: yeah and you know what she and I are still really good friends to this day and boy I tell you meet one meet two meet three the, the head coach and the other assistant were like I'm so glad we have her I mean she would just you know get out there and compete like a it was, it was so cool you know com- competing didn't bother nothing scared her you know she had this exterior right but boy she could not get on with people you know and so she had to learn and I I could see a glimmer of she wants to learn she wants to be different
0: so that I was, was just gonna scary. say usually it takes going away to college and you yeah get away from the environment that you were used to, whether it's the yeah. influence of your parents or whatever you have going on in your personal life. Usually people go to college and they grow up, they mature, they, they see the world different. At least that's what we hope that yeah. they can evolve and grow into a different person during that time frame of their life. So you don't want to like rule people out no. at that stage when they're super young, you want to give people a chance. So I'm glad that, that yeah. she got a chance. Yeah. Just like in the business world, you
1: take chances on people, right? Sometimes it pays off and sometimes it doesn't. Right. That's so You know, I feel like she's one of my daughters, you know, it was just hard, but it was good. It was a good hard. So sometimes coaches are willing to do that. But I would say if you're listening to this as a potential recruit, you know, you definitely don't want that. You don't want to make that part of their having to decide against you, you know, potentially. But those are some of the interesting stories out there.
0: We had someone ask us about NIL and how that's changed recruitment and has it changed your job in any way?
1: So I've had a lot of contact lawyers contact me and companies that jumped on really fast, you know, like, okay, we want to take on all these athletes. Do you have any, you know, blah, 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 and all these things. And so I tried to learn from each person that called me because quite honestly, there's not that much information out there that the NCA hasn't really solidified everything. I don't think. And what the biggest thing I found out is I don't want to take that on. So we don't really too much um some of the girls a little bit but for the most part it what i found was it's state by state are the laws within the nl nil i don't have time to learn all that right so no and so few are going to be utilizing the nil right so once they get to their college or when they're on the recruiting trips they need to ask those questions then if they're of that caliber or have that many followers Then I'm sure those schools have a meeting they can have with their, you know, specialists on the campus because they hire specialists to do this now. Mm -hmm. But there's so many legal pieces of it and it just doesn't impact the bulk of our clients. So we really haven't um had to but I've I tried to learn as much as I can.
0: Do you feel like NIL has made college recruiting more competitive? Because I feel like maybe it's just social media or maybe it's a little bit of NIL and social media. It just feels so competitive now where like you see all these genders going on trips and they're posting the photo shoot photos and then down on the football field and they're wearing the NCAA championship rings and the, it seems like all the schools are pulling out all the stops trying to get all of the top recruits. Those top recruits, you <laughs> bet. Mm-hmm. Has it always been that competitive? Or oh, do you feel oh, like NIL yeah. has made the stakes higher. <laughs> um,
1: yes, it's been that competitive. It's just different now. NIL puts a different layer to it. But wow. when there was no NIL, it was other things, right? So yeah, and if you talk to those top coaches, they have some stories to tell about each other. And <laughs> some get along and some don't, and some, you know, have had some harsh words with each other or You know they turn each other in apparently or you know a little bit doggy dog you know so the nil just puts another layer to it yeah honestly and maybe i'm you know kind of conservative i don't like what it's doing to the regular everyday girl who wants to go that direction and is doing things in their photos that i think in the long run they just don't i don't think they realize so I have a heart for, you know, um being mindful and careful. I know
0: what else is out there, the sad part of yeah. that world. Yes. So Another element is just finding for the gymnast, finding things that work for you and what you want your brand to be and being able to kind of weed that out, whether it's by yourself or if you're working with an agent, which we're seeing a lot more of that. Even going into this year with College Gymnastics, so many more gymnasts are working with agents now, which I think if you are going down that path is a good resource to have because it's somebody who kind of knows more, like even on like the legal end, they can help with what's going on and negotiating some of those deals and kind of letting the athletes just be athletes and, and students yeah and students of course and just hopefully finding things that fit with who they are as a person and yeah their brand and and keeping it keeping it that way <laughs> and no, not getting sacrifice too... don't sacrifice
1: your soul for a dollar basically yes. you know that's all i'm saying and i just think sometimes they're so young you know a lot of these elite gymnasts haven't even been like i said they haven't experienced a whole lot so finding the right managers I I know a few that are so good, you know, and they're there to protect too, you know, and so that, that in itself is great. I think that's fine, but, uh, and I do not mind that these girls are making money for their years and years and years of work, you know, as far as that goes, that's not what I'm saying. Um, because for so long, I feel like so many gymnastics families, the elites, you know, they sold their homes to keep their kids in the sport. So There has to be a balance there, but I know as JH Consulting, I'm always trying to be sure I'm protecting,
0: you know, the girls. So Mm -hmm. last question, what would you say to gymnasts who are either struggling to get recruited or they're just having some anxiety about the, the whole process? Cause it can be really intimidating. Like we've talked about, what is your biggest piece of advice for them?
1: I'll use an example this week. I had a family come to JH Consulting and the dad just keeps saying, I, I cannot believe I didn't hire you sooner. And it's not about JH Consulting. It's about getting the most information you can to help your daughter get recruited. Right. And I think as most parents, they think it'll be sort of easy once she gets to level 10 or in high school, we'll start sending her information, you know, and that's one of the biggest mistakes that they can make. It sounds illogical, but when you think about it, if you start sending your information just because you're in high school and you're a level 10, and you send it to a program that maybe down the road could be a program for you, but you send it too early, the coach is not going to open it or read it or keep it. If you're not at their level or very close, they don't have time. There's too many others that are. Mm -hmm. And so I see that happen all the time. And then in the end, they're left with nothing. And because they didn't time it right. Well, how could you know as a parent, like, I know our kids did soccer. I mean, I tried really hard to understand soccer, but I didn't get it all. Like, I, I'm like, get the ball in the net, you know, but all the little technical things that a coach looks at, I, I, I had to learn. Like I tried to learn. It was fun, but I I'm not a co- soccer coach, you know? Yeah. So parents just don't understand. It's like, they don't see, they don't understand how many girls are out there, how competitive it is. And then well, my daughter's not different. Well, yeah, her scores are kind of the same. What's the difference? Nine, two, nine, four. You know, it's like, what's the big difference? You know, what's a lot, you know, to a college coach. And so this family, you know, we had an hour session and I mean, they were just like, they, you know, everything I recommended and suggested they had never thought of. It was like, oh, we should take that down or, oh, okay. So we need to get this video instead. And can you do that? Yeah. Well, where's the video? Or like, uh, you know, when did you send that? Because now we need to resend it because they are still recruiting. You know, you thought they were done. Well, I happen to know them personally and know what's going on, you know, or so I feel bad. I think there's a lot of kids and families out there just trying to navigate this on their own. And so I would say, if you don't have help, then, you know, reach out to somebody who, who knows more than you. Learn more. Don't be afraid, you know, to ask the hard questions, because I think knowledge is power when it comes to recruiting. And I know I did this with my own daughter. I went and found one of the coaches in her soccer develop. She was at a very high level and he was a college coach in the past. So I just went to him and I said, I need help. Like, and he didn't even have a business. I said, is she going to go high D1 or medium lead? I knew that, right? Yeah. And he goes, she'll go medium D one. And she got letters from big D one schools in the beginning. Right. Yeah. wow. Uh, well, she was only five, two, so she didn't grow any taller. So they gave <laughs> it to her when she was little, those letters, but as she didn't develop and grow, I mean, grow taller, the letters began to go right where he said they would, you know, and I was like, man, had I known that, you know, it's just little things like that, that I would say for a a girl who's out there trying to get recruited, don't give up, stay open in the process and have dream schools, but have a lot of realistic schools.
0: And it probably helps have someone like you in their corner as well. So if you want to go ahead and plug your social media handles, your website, how can people get in touch with you?
1: Oh, it's just Jay Hicks consulting all over the place. And um, I do have a podcast. I do it once a week and
0: it's college recruiting with Jill Hicks. Um, It's really interesting, even for fans, like us just as fans. I'm so interested by the recruiting process. Right, like we're not being recruited by anyone for anything, but we're interested (laughs) because we (laughs) want to listen. So I would highly recommend people go listen to your podcast. Oh, you're
1: so sweet. (laughs) I have a YouTube page I did a while ago that has a lot of the schools and the topics on there, but I'm not really doing YouTube right now. I'm trying to focus on, but the parents love their favorite one is my Facebook live at noon on every Wednesday. Um, Pacific Standard Time. So that's at just Jill Hicks Consulting LLC.
0: You got a lot of stuff going on, and we're really, really grateful that you came on and shared some of your expertise with us yes. and our listeners. Thank you for letting us pick your brain about college recruiting. <laughs>
1: this was so much fun. Good luck to you guys. I'm glad you have a podcast too. I think the more the merrier.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And thank you so much. We We appreciate you. that does it for this week's episode we just want to say thank you again to jill for taking the time to come chat with us this was a super interesting episode and also one that was highly requested yeah so i know a lot of our listeners are going to be really appreciative that you took the time to come chat with us and of course we will put jill's website down in the description down below so if anyone wants to get in contact with her or just get to know a little bit more about what she does Um, We encourage you to go check out her website and then reach out to her. And she also has a podcast on all major listening platforms as well as a Facebook Live that she does every week where she talks about different topics related to college recruiting and gives advice to parents and athletes going through the process. So definitely a lot of resources out there for people going through the recruiting process. Yeah, absolutely. We absolutely encourage that you go give her a follow on all social media platforms. Next week, we'll be back with the US women's worlds team announcement, and then also share our predictions for the world championships. We've done a US women's team prediction, but we haven't actually talked about who we think is going to come away with medals at these world championships. So we're super excited to dive into that conversation with you guys next week. But until then, we hope you have a wonderful week. We love you all so much, and we will talk to you real soon. Bye. Bye.